This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Exercise is what the stress response was designed for. So examples, standing in front of a bear, you're going to run. And so that's the ideal thing under acute stress. Chronic stress, you have to be careful. If you're exercising too intensely, you might feel worse after when your adrenals are burnt out. So exercise is, it's like a fine balance in the burnout phase. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn why we're talking about stress again. We'll explore whether sex is really important to a relationship. We'll find out how to treat dowager's hump. And lastly, we'll discuss quick summer pasta sauces. But first, a little bit of business. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Krista McKay graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto in 2009. Prior to this, she completed studies in clinic exercise physiology at Concordia University in Montreal using exercise as a holistic therapy for people with various diseases and disabilities. She's a busy mom balancing practice both in Montreal and Montevideo, Uruguay, and currently works for an employee assistance program doing phone consultations. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? I'm okay. But, you know, we've been discussing this on the show for a while. There's lots of people out there who maybe aren't doing so okay. And maybe wondering, you know, why we're talking about stress yet again. So maybe that's where we should start. Why are we talking about stress? Yeah, good question. I mean, I was thinking about it. And I was thinking about every single human on planet Earth for the past year and a half, has definitely experienced some level of stress. I mean, all different sources of stress. And as you mentioned, I work for an employee assistance program. So I've talked to people every day about stress. So it's been about 10 years or so. And basically, people call in. Employees are calling in for work stress, personal stress. Everything's related to stress. They might not be sleeping at night. And it really comes down to stress levels. What I've seen in the last year and a half, shockingly, is parents are calling in about their teens. Even kids young as six, eight, ten-year-olds, parents are calling in because they have symptoms of stress. So these kids are, maybe they're not sleeping well, showing signs of anxiety, depression, and they're even medicated. Kids as young as like six, eight-year-olds are medicated for stress-related symptoms. So the parents in their 40s, 50s, 60-year-olds have stress from everywhere. They have their own personal stress, work-related stress. Maybe they have aging parents that they're concerned about. And additionally, they have this children's stress. And then there's a lot of social isolation in the last year and a half, too. Lots of people 
have a lot of stress because of that. And then the other interesting connection that I uh, like to add in is people, especially women, are going through a major hormonal change at this point in their lives. So it's rough. So I think, yeah, let's keep talking about stress. The important thing is prevention. You can do so much before you get to a burnout. So I think it's really important to keep talking about it, normalize it. What can we do? Right. And we should probably distinguish between sort of stress in the moment, which can occur, you know, at at any time, you know, uh, trying to get through an intersection with traffic or getting into an (laughs) argument with somebody versus chronic stress, because what we're really focusing in on today is chronic stress, right? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, exactly what you said. The fight or flight response is that acute stress. So our brain perceives, the keyword here is perceives danger, sends signal to the adrenal glands. So imagine yourself standing in front of a bear. There's the fear response. Everything's hyper alert. The blood is shunted to the brain and the big muscles for quick decisions to run from that bear, fight or flight. And there's a rush of sugar from the adrenal gland secreting cortisol that tells the blood sugar levels to go up. So this rush of sugar is for this immediate energy. So when you're in fear, you're in danger, you need to make quick decisions and run for your life. But as you said, today's society, we're full of chronic stress. So, and it's all internal. So it's a perceived danger or perceived fear. And we're sitting in front of the computer. We are concerned about our kids. We have deadlines and it's this internal attack or stand in front of a bear response. I like to use the analogy of a car. It kind of helps explain the two extremes. So the original adrenaline rush, we might call that adrenal overdrive, is where the car is, you're accelerating the engine, you're revving that engine, a little bit of reckless driving, you're on coffee, you're you're going, you're burning through the adrenals. The other extreme is the burnout. And that's what happens after long-term chronic stress. And that looks like you didn't take the car in to get gas. You didn't take it in for maintenance. You're pressing the gas pedal, the tank's empty, and you can't get out of bed in the morning. You can't get going. So that's kind of the the other extreme of it. So we're talking about the adrenal system. And does it function the same way for both men and women? Yeah, no, really interesting question. The adrenal glands are technically the same glands. We have an inner medulla in them, and that pumps out the adrenaline. And then there's three outer layers. So to remember them, it's salt, sugar, and sex. Salt is like the filtration of salt through the kidneys, so the blood pressure is originally high, but then in burnout, it it will drop. It'll be low blood pressure often. Sugar, I briefly mentioned with the cortisol release from the adrenal glands, and that increases blood sugar levels for that quick energy. And then the sex layer is the reproductive hormones. So in women, what happens, it's very interesting how the adrenal glands are communicating with the ovaries and the thyroid also. And so the ovaries are ovulating when we're premenopausal and they produce lots of hormones for the menstrual cycle. But then after menopause, as we stop ovulating, we stop producing the reproductive hormones from the ovaries, the adrenal glands take over. So they're working overtime. So women in the perimenopausal, menopausal years are much more sensitive to stress. It's it's like the adrenals can't keep up. They're dealing with stressors of life, all these additional stressors at that time. And they also have to balance or buffer this drop in reproductive hormones like the estrogens and, and progesterones. So... I look at women who slide through menopause without any symptoms, and really the the explanation, in my opinion, is healthy adrenal glands. So whenever we're talking menopause or hormonal changes, we can't ignore the adrenals. You have to, you know, start supporting them in your 40s. It's never too early to start and never too late to start. 
you know, in your 50s, 60s, definitely you'll want some adrenal support there. Uh, just as an aside, there's a phrase out there and it's sort of a, it's a loaded phrase because some people caught into it and some people don't. And that is adrenal fatigue. Can you explain what mm-hmm. that is and, you know, how it's perceived both in, you know, traditional medicine and then in natural medicine? Yeah, I think the difficulty of the adrenal glands is it's really hard to measure them. There's no lab test that is going to tell you what's happening on a stress level because it's it's so multifactorial. It comes from a perceived thought in our brain and stimulates the adrenals. So naturopathic doctors use the term adrenal fatigue, adrenal overdrive, all these adrenal terms, but they're not really medically defined terms. It's not like a scientific diagnosis by any means. And it's because you can't measure their functioning. And as we said, it's a perceived thing. So for example, for me preparing for this radio show, I felt a significant level of stress. I felt that fear, like I was standing in front of a bear, heart racing. Somebody else maybe is more comfortable who's done it before, and they wouldn't have the same stress response that I experienced before doing this. So it's really perceived. We can't really tell who's going to perceive this as a danger or a fear and who's not. And the other important thing is women in menopause, as I mentioned, are more sensitive. So there's times in our lives where we aren't handling stress the way we may have in the past. So there's lots of factors. It's a really tough one to, you know, place a number on. Okay. And because it's less quantifiable, you know, doctors may or may not express it in terms of adrenal fatigue or even sort of accept that concept. They, they would approach it differently, right? Yeah, it's like a grouping of symptoms. It's like IBS, like irritable bowel syndrome. They've ruled out all kinds of other diagnoses. So same with adrenals being tired. It's There are adrenal diseases like Addison's and Cushing's disease. So that's not what the person has. It's a grouping of symptoms. And when I was talking before about the blood being shunted to the brain and the big muscles under stress, it's taken away from reproduction. It's taken away from digestion, taken away from immune system and the hair snails. So we're looking at all these different symptoms. Like as naturopathic doctors, we look at the whole person. And when we see lots of these symptoms of stress that could be depleted immune function, it could be digestive issues, bloating, gas, uh, diarrhea, constipation, immune systems depleted, or the hair loss. You know, all these kind of things are taken into account when we're looking at the adrenals. Okay. So before we get into sort of the nutraceutical approach to dealing with adrenal stress, are there lifestyle choices that we can make that can perhaps assist or deter in, in the symptomology that you've just explained? Yeah, of course. Um, I love going to lifestyle first because I think it's what's going to carry us the furthest. But that being said, sometimes it's difficult because you can get into the vicious circle, like wired and tired is what I call it when you're exhausted, but you can't fall asleep at night. So you don't get a good night's sleep. So getting up to exercise in the morning is not that appealing. But I definitely would love to go over those key things and why they're important. So exercise is what the stress response was designed for. So example, standing in front of a bear, you're going to run. And so that's the ideal thing under acute stress. Chronic stress, you have to be careful. If you're exercising too intensely, you might feel worse after when your adrenals are burnt out. So exercise is, it's like a fine balance in the burnout phase. Healthy eating, so there's often a lot of cravings for salty foods and sugary foods, like the the salt sugar layers of the adrenals. Mm -hmm. So those tend to be stimulants. We tend to drink a lot more coffee when the adrenals are tired, and maybe the afternoon sugary treat to get us through the rest of the day. So 
those things help us in the immediate moment, but long-term, they're not a good idea for the adrenals. It's it's like throwing gas on the fire. So if your, your adrenals are your fire, you want to feed it wood, keep the fire going. If you're putting on the stimulants like the coffee and the refined sugar, it's it's like throwing gas on the fire, as I said. It goes up in flames, we feel a lot of heat, and then the fire goes out. So you want to really nourish your body with healthy proteins, healthy fats, lots of fruits and vegetables, colors. So that's kind of to balance blood sugar levels as well. So another lifestyle type practice would be breathing, mindfulness, meditation, guided imagery, whatever you want to call it. Taking a moment to concentrate on the focus on your breath. So when you're breathing, you can actually prevent the autonomic fight or flight response from being stimulated. So I I like to do diaphragmatic breathing or alternate nostril breathing is something you can look up. Really fantastic to help keep the nervous system calm. And then other things like self-care, taking a warm bath, putting some Epsom salts in that are rich in magnesium, maybe some essential oils, getting outside in nature, doing anything that you love to do, like anything that brings joy. Maybe it's dancing, maybe it's singing, maybe it's knitting, maybe it's getting together with friends. All of these things are super important for adrenal health to help keep things balanced. Fantastic. Are there any specific nutraceuticals that you think might help? Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned before, when people are really burnt out, it's really hard to motivate to do these lifestyle things. So sometimes a a good place to start is actually adding in a few supplements. So first one, vitamin B complex. Vitamin Bs are used for energy production. And specifically, B5 and B6 are something the adrenal glands use a lot of for all the reactions they're doing. Mm-hmm. Magnesium is another one, really calming type mineral. We're not eating a lot in our diets today, so it's a good one to add in. It helps a little bit with sleep too. It's a nice relaxant type thing for the tension to muscle tension with stress. Magnesium can be helpful. And then herbs, I love adaptogens. They, it's a name that we call these plants because of their role is to help us adapt. So they're really cool plants. They have a dual role. They have constituents that help boost our endurance and other constituents that kind of provide a sense of calm or grounding. So to name a few, ashwagandha is one. There's cordyceps and reishi are mushrooms. There's licorice root. Rhodiola is a fantastic one. Siberian ginseng. Be careful with some of them. There are interactions between medications, so antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. So I'd always recommend speaking with a naturopathic doctor or herbalist or alternative healthcare practitioner who knows the pharmacology too. Like naturopathic doctors, we study pharmacology. So it's really important to know what constituents in the plants may interact with medications. Yeah, that's good advice. Are there any supplements that you can take that you would consider sort of a supportive of the process? Yeah. So the digestive tract is really often very affected. As I said, IBS is often a term that doctors will use, and it's often caused by stress in the body. So the digestive tract gets a lot of brunt from stress. And so a good probiotic can help a lot with any of the symptoms of bloating or gas, diarrhea, constipation. And the other really interesting thing I love about probiotics is the production of serotonin happens mostly in the GI tract. Mm -hmm. So as we are pumping out lots of stress hormones, cortisol, our serotonin depletes. So that's where a lot of symptoms of depression come after higher levels of stress. So probiotics help with that as well. Immune support. 
a lot of the adaptogenic herbs we talked about, the ashwagandha, reishi, have immune-boosting properties in them. So they're fantastic for stress. They, they help support that immune depletion when we're under stress as well. Fantastic. We have time for one last question, and that is, is there anything that consumers should be looking for specifically when they're, when they're looking to get uh, some nutraceutical help for this? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's hard right. to weed through the the internet. I'd recommend going to a local health food store. There's usually healthcare practitioners that work there that can kind of guide you through and suggest what supplements to take. A vitamin B complex, I always recommend when there's various levels of the vitamin Bs. So you'll see on the back different dosages of each B. So mm-hmm. your adrenals want a higher B5 and higher B6. Yep. There's great formulas out there with some of the adaptogenic herbs that I mentioned and vitamin Bs and other adrenal support. So you can see things sold as like adrenal support or stress support. Mm-hmm. Lots of great Canadian companies out there. You can check out the supplement company. Look for third-party tested, standardized extracts for herbs, ISO lab certification is great for quality. So those are all um, a bunch of things you can look for. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. That was Dr. Krista McKay, ND. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss whether sex is really important to a relationship. On The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Recently, brothers running a successful family business gave me a call. They've been hearing my commercials for over a year. Why did they finally phone me? Because they had incompletions. Shareholder agreement not done. Wills not done. Tax planning not done. Life insurance for their business and families not done. Most people have incompletions. We complete them. Call me. I'm Mark Halpern. WealthInsurance.com WealthInsurance.com This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop centre. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com, and she can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, Jamie. I am well. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing very well. So last month, you promised that we were going to talk about a really big question, and I'm not going to bury the lead. Is sex important to a relationship? Hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it can be. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the relationship. Every relationship has its own priorities. For some, it's health and food and exercise. For others, it's travel. For some, it's you know financial freedom and being able to retire early or you know accumulate property and wealth. And for some, it's having a passionate sex life. So you know it, it's important for some and not important for everybody. 
Okay. And I'm just curious. I'm asking, and not that it really matters, but do you find that there's like a significant number of people for whom sex is not important in their relationship? Uh, I don't know about significant, but I, I think it definitely is there. And, you know, with the caveat that sometimes it just ends up that way. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we become resigned to that. So that one partner is tired of initiating and the other one is tired of saying no. That, you know, and I think in particular our parents' generation, Mm -hmm. that one parent would often just go along with it, often a female partner because that was expected. And a male partner didn't really think there was much to expect out of it, but thought that this was part of what the deal was. Mm -hmm. And so now that we sort of understand that both partners should be enthusiastic and enjoy pleasure, if one partner's not into it, they're more likely to say, I'm not so into it. And so sometimes we fall into these patterns, these sexless marriages and relationships where it just becomes too big of an issue, but nobody wants to talk about it. We don't know how to talk about it or other aspects of the relationship are good, or maybe we think we're too old to sort of try and do things differently. And so we just kind of go along and everybody sort of agrees that this is not something we're going to do anymore. And it doesn't mean that both partners are happy about it, but that this is just the new norm. So I'm going to phrase this question sort of open-ended, but you, you, you're mm-hmm. kind of touching upon it already. And that is, you know, can we really go without sex in our relationships? And I, I guess, I suppose we could, but it begs the question, you know, is that okay? I mean, yes, it's okay if you're happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the issue for me is if you're not happy with it, then, then that's not great. So yeah, you can totally have a great, satisfying, good relationship without sex. Absolutely. But I have met a fair number of people who stopped having sex because of various reasons. Illness, the relationship was not healthy in general, but they didn't want to split up, um, or they became used to the new norm. And something happened, right? The kids left the nest or they all of a sudden felt good about themselves and wanted to rekindle the relationship or they found somebody else exciting and that that rekindled something in themselves that they were like, oh, I still have it, whatever it is. And they realized, wow, I never want to do that again. (laughs) I never want to be without sex again. But you don't know what you miss until you you have it again. And you think, oh, wait a second. Or that sex was really not very good in your relationship and you start a new one or your partner develops, you know, you learn new things. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is what it can feel like. I didn't know that sex could be pleasurable. I didn't know it could be fun. Yeah. And I guess there's situations where, you know, the relationship is perhaps devolved into a situation where there isn't sex or not as much sex and one person's okay with it, but maybe one person isn't. And that can lead to other problems too, right? Yeah. Well, so what can happen is people then look outside the relationship to get their sexual needs met. And certainly doing that without your partner's consent and negotiating that is never a great idea because it's dishonest and it's going to impact the person who is being dishonest and the person who is being cheated on sometimes knows and it it can impact in a in a different way but you know surprisingly a lot of couples come up with solutions they come up with okay you can have sex when you're out of town or you can have sex as long as it's not with anyone you know or they come up with 
parameters or both partners, you, you practice some kind of polyamory. We want to stay together, but our sexual connection isn't good. Let's go somewhere else. And sometimes what happens is that that actually rekindles their relationship. Yeah, I mean, I guess to some extent you're talking about like a compromise that people come up with, right? Like, you know, most relationships are in series of gives and takes in other matters. I suppose it's natural. If it, came, sure. if it came to it, you know, you, you could compromise on sex if you're so inclined, if the bigger picture is that you want to remain with that person, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's all about priorities. But, you know, these conversations are hard. <laughs> I would imagine extremely hard, right? Cause and we don't have tools to discuss them. It's really hard for people to come up with and say, this is what I want, you know, for fear that your partner's going to leave you for it, or you're going to be judged or left in poverty. Who knows what, what your fears are? I guess part of the issue is, like, how do you perceive sex? Like, why is it important for you, right? Leaving aside your relationship with who you're with, you know, it's your concept of where sex fits into like your needs. And so what would help somebody sort of think about or conceptualize why sex would be important to them? Well, I think it's important to you if it's satisfying and it's pleasurable. And so for people where sex has never been satisfying, they've never enjoyed it, or they don't think that, that there's a way to enjoy it or find it interesting, or, you know, for some, it's even it's painful. Yeah. So, of course, if it is not interesting, it's sort of the analogy I use. If you go to a restaurant and you don't enjoy the food, you get sick off it. You're not excited to go back. No. So then again, too, who wants to have sex with a partner who's not really into it either? So what I usually recommend is what would make your sex life fulfilling? What would make it get exciting? What are your needs and desires? And if you can talk with yourself first and your partner, and it might involve some experimentation, but sometimes, you know, we stop kissing after a time or we stop full body touch and we just go straight for intercourse or, or genital touch, right? What would make it fun? so that you can value that and, and look forward to it. If sex is painful, then what are activities that you can still enjoy in ways that, that you and your partner can still find some fulfillment and pleasure, even if it doesn't look like what it used to look like or what we think sex is supposed to look like? Let's talk about that for a second. So what would that look like? That, obviously, I'm not asking you to be graphic, but what sort of alternatives are there for sexual expression if it isn't the actual act of sex? I mean, some people get into kink. Some people explore spirituality in sex. There's, you know, oral pleasure. There's physical touch all over. There's sex toys. There's playing online. There's, there's going to sex clubs together and engaging in different ways that way. So there are ways of getting around it. But, you know, the people who have long-term satisfying sex lives are people who are able to think outside of the box and who are able to shed all of the shoulds and the myths and the supposed tos and discover what it looks like and is satisfying for themselves as well as with a partner. So is this really about sort of making sex important or a priority? Is it as simple as that? So it's partly about putting a little bit of time and energy into what would make it exciting and important for you and thinking a little bit about what would feel good to you and then sharing that with your partner. So it does take a little bit of effort. We do have to think about it. We might have to research it. We might want to talk to a professional. We want, might want to explore a little bit on our own and then sharing that with a partner. 
But it's just like if you want to improve your health, you want to advance your career, if you want to renovate the house, you know, it's not going to happen if you don't put time into it. It's not going to happen if you don't make it a priority. And again, you might decide that sex is not a priority for you, and then that might be a challenging negotiation if it is for a partner. But if you decide that you want to make it a priority and you want to have fun, then you can spend some time. And we're not saying you need to, you know, go on a one-year retreat and right. come back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do a little bit of reading, a little bit of self-exploration and figure out what would make it fun for you, what used to make it fun for you, what, what would you envision for the future. And you can usually find something that will feel really, really great. Well, that's encouraging, right? So I, I guess the message is, you know, before you make the decision that sex really isn't important to you, maybe consider all these other options and then maybe you'll you'll end up landing there in any event but at least you'll have you know turned your mind to it in, in a meaningful way yeah absolutely and you can find that pleasure and that excitement and sort of you know that excitement of a first new relationship if you want to if that's something that you will will enjoy and it's everybody's journey and everybody's journey is going to look a little different so you have to figure out what that journey looks like for you and you know the little bit of energy usually comes back in spades and provides a lot of energy back and vitalization in your life in general fantastic thank you so much for coming on the show today it's always a pleasure jamie that was carlisle jansen we have to take a short break but we'll be right back on the tonic Are you looking for a fast track program to hit the ground running, speed up your success and build a coaching business on your own terms? You can launch your own lucrative coaching career in two days with the Certified Coach Practitioner Program. This program inspires you to take that first step in your coaching career, teaches you the ins and outs of coaching, gives you unique tools and resources for your client meetings and offers continual support so you can start your coaching career on the right foot. With the Certified Coach Practitioner Training Program, you'll go from being busy with a desperate need for a change to running a lucrative and bankable coaching business that fits your lifestyle. For more information, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Aaron Boynton, or Dr. B, is an orthopedic surgeon with a unique approach to musculoskeletal pain, blending both the art and science of medicine. As the first female orthopedic surgeon to work with the MLB and NHL, she's had extensive experience in dealing with overuse or wear and tear injuries. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm doing great, Jamie. How are you doing? Good. So everybody who listens to this show knows like I'm an insufferable know-it-all, but today you're going to teach me something new because we're talking about something I have no idea what this is. So I'm super excited to learn something new. What is a dowager's hump? You probably know what it is. I don't. It's just the name. So a buffalo hump, a hunchback. Oh, a hunchback. Okay. So it's it's a kyphotic deformity, basically of a rounding of the thoracic spine. 
and it commonly affects women and men as we age, but more commonly women, and it can be a big problem. So what does it look like? You've described it as a hunchback. Is, is that when like you're stooped over and there's sort of like your shoulders are just kind of sagging and there's like in the middle of your back, there's that sort of big rounding? Is that what this is? It's exactly what it is. So it's a hump at the middle of your spine, the thoracic spine between your shoulder blades. Okay. So you hunch over, yeah. you round over, mm-hmm. and then your head kind of sticks forward. So you end up with the forward head posture and your shoulders round. Yep. And it's actually really bad for you because... When you round over like that, you don't allow your lungs to expand properly. You don't allow your abdomen to expand properly. So it's hard on breathing. It's hard on your digestion. And it can be very painful. Is it possible if we have it to get rid of it? Is it fixable? Well, it definitely is. It depends a little bit on why you have it. Um, Some people develop it just because of postural problems with Mm -hmm. the weight of the head and gravity pulling your head down to the ground so your back rounds. Other people will end up with a hunchback because of either osteoporotic fractures. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that the thoracic spine vertebrae is normally shaped like a box, but if the front of the box collapses, then the shape becomes more like a wedge. And Mm -hmm. so when you get wedging of the thoracic vertebrae, you round over. Now, if you end up with rounding because of a bone deformity, then you're not as likely to be able to fully correct it. And sometimes young men develop this. It's called Schuerman's disease, and that is a developmental condition that affects the growth plate. So they end up with these wedge-shaped vertebrae in the thoracic spine as well. Hmm. But the vast majority of people that have this problem, it's not because the vertebrae are misshapen. It's because their muscles are not turned on and active and, and doing their job. And so we slump. Hmm. All right. So obviously, you know, we should sit up straight if we can. What about sleeping? Is there a certain position that might help us with this? So sleeping on your back can actually help to stretch out the tight tissues that will develop around the spine. Mm-hmm. And really the key is is that once you have this rounding of your spine for prolonged periods of time, the tissue at the front of the spine will become very stiff and inelastic and the muscles go to sleep around your spine. So when you're sleeping, if you lie on your back, then that allows gravity to pull the upper thoracic spine and straighten it out. But if you've had this problem for a long time, you may not actually be able to get your head on the bed. So you need a a thick pillow. Mm -hmm. And what I would recommend is that you actually start lying on your back and you have your head supported, but you use your breathing when you're sleeping to try and release the little tissues around the thoracic spine, which articulates with the ribs. And once you loosen those tissues up, you are able to use your muscles to correct the deformity. And that's really the key thing in getting rid of the problem. Like lying on your back is helpful, but the key is to awaken those deep postural muscles and core muscles so that you can hold your spine in the right position. Okay. Are there any braces or devices that might help correct this? You know, the best brace is the muscles. I've always talked about our muscles as what holds our body in alignment. And so learning to activate the deep multifidus muscles is the best thing. If you end up with a very bad deformity due to osteoporosis, then braces are rarely used to try and prevent the deformity from increasing. So really the key here is to be active in a way that allows you to keep your muscles turned on and prevent the deformity from getting worse. 
Are there professionals that can help, for example, doctors or maybe chiropractors? Definitely therapists who work in soft tissue massage, soft tissue release, active self-myofascial release can help to loosen the muscles and loosen the fascia around your spine so that then you can activate the muscles to hold good alignment. If you don't activate the muscles after you go for your massage, then the malalignment or the rounding will just recur. So they can provide some temporary relief, but the key is to activate and turn those muscles on. So let's talk about muscle activation. What sort of exercises or movements can we do that would assist with correcting this? Well, there are some really good system that was developed by this therapist, Guy Voyer. He was a French osteopath, and he developed these fascial stretches, and you'd have to look them up online, but he gets you to put yourself into a a kind of a funky position, leaning up against the wall, and you raise your arms over your head. But he does it in a very ingenious way because you have to turn on the deep muscles in your core and around your spine in order to hold the position. And you use your breath. And so you're doing a stretch, but you're having to use your muscles to hold the position. So it's a very effective way of correcting the deformity. You're not talking about the dreaded wall sit, are you? Because I hate those. There is a wall, yes. Oh, so it's, it's see, a you know, you're talking sit. about Gee, and he seems like a great guy, and he's got these brilliant <laughs> exercises. You're talking about wall sits. I hate wall sits. <laughs> that means you probably need to do them. <laughs> I know. I know. That's true. That's part of it. Like two workouts at a week. That's one of my 15 exercises is wall sit. My legs are just aching by the time they're done. <laughs> you know what? I hated doing them, too. I actually do these stretches because... Yep. I need to. I don't want to end up being a hunchback. Well, you know, there's there's certain exercises that I do, like I can I can do in my sleep. Like I, I can squat like a lunatic. Like I've got really good core strength. And then there's other exercises, like simple stuff, like bicycles that they're a real challenge for me. And wall sits, one of the dreaded ones. Anyways, sorry. Other than wall sits, what else is there? Well, look up Guy Voyer. He's got okay. like a series of them that you can do, and they're not all as bad as the. There is a wall sit. There's a, eventually you get to lie on the ground and put your legs up on the wall, which I like that one better. But yeah. he has a series that you follow, so there's a flow, so that you can actually release your spine sort of from top to bottom, and it's quite effective. And yeah, I'm with you. I don't like them, but I do like how I feel after I've done yeah. them. No, and you're 100 percent right. When I, I recognize that if I'm not good at it, or if it's a challenge for me to do it there's a reason why it's a challenge for me to do it so therefore it has to be taken on that's the way i feel about it you know it's really interesting because over the years i've kind of got this continuum of patients there's people who are really really stiff and but strong Mm -hmm. and then on the other end of the continuum there's people that are really flexible and not so strong and the people that are really flexible love to stretch and the people that are really strong and stiff love to strengthen and they both need to do the opposite it's it's just like human nature with me it's like certain parts of the body because actually i'm I'm actually kind of crazy flexible like i can touch my toes and get my hands flat on the ground like which is pretty good at my age yeah but certain other stuff not so much so you're a tennis player is it true like a tennis ball in a sock i guess up against the wall is going to help with all of this Well, yes, I do love tennis, and I love using tennis balls for just about anything I can. And if you put two tennis balls in a sock, you call it a peanut, you tie a knot in it. And so you can lie down or you can use it against the wall. 
where you put the tennis balls on the muscles on either side of the spine. So you yep. know the little spinous process, the bone, that's in the middle between the two balls. Mm-hmm. And then you can use the tennis balls to do a gentle, active self-myofascial release so that you can you loosen the tissue, with it, which will then allow you to use your muscle to hold the alignment. So it can give you some good temporary relief. The problem if you don't do the activation exercises afterwards is that you have to use the tennis ball every day. Mm. Okay. What if you do nothing? This is like time for one last question. If, if we have this issue and we don't do anything, what are the ramifications? Well, it can be a real problem. Pain can develop in your spine. You can get headaches. You can end up with shoulder pain, back pain, and then the general health effects such as poor digestion and respiration. So it really is something that's neglected, and it's really awful to just have to think about sitting up straight and standing straight and using our muscles, but there really are important health ramifications. So I recommend that everybody stands up straight. Okay, so if, if we're not able to stand up straight and we have more questions, Doctor, how can our listeners reach out to you? They can reach out through my website, drrmb.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That's my pleasure, Jamie. Take care. That was Dr. Aaron Boynton. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover de-stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carolyn Tanner-Cohen is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, you can always visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. We're in the, would you call it the depths of summer, the height of summer? We're in summer and it's hot. And I still like to eat pasta during the summer, even when it's hot, 
but maybe I do it differently than some of the heartier pastas that I would totally. make it, right? Absolutely. I actually judge where I am in my seasons according to what's in the grocery store. Oh yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> for sure. And, and there's so many there's so many delicious local produce that are coming out right now that could be implemented in pasta. So why don't we talk about that, right? Totally. Well, first of all, I love to cook with a single ingredient like approach. So in other words, go to the grocery store, look at what's there, look at what's in season locally, and choose a single ingredient and get inspired. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I do love pasta. And pasta is a phenomenal side dish, especially when you're entertaining for, you know, a small group. Okay? You boil one bag of pasta. It goes a very, very long way. You know, gone are the days where one bag of pasta really should serve like three, four people. It really, at a small dinner party, could serve six to eight. So it could stretch. Now, before we talk about sauces, let's just talk about pasta shapes and textures. Okay. Okay. So, you know, people think like, oh, it doesn't matter which kind of pasta you use. It does. I have a bit of a, I'm a bit uh, of a pasta snob, if you will. Yep. Okay. Me too. I like a certain shape or texture depending on what the sauce is all about. But for the most part, I like my pasta to have a chew to it, so a bite to it. So in other words, for me, and this is really just personal, I don't like angel hair. There's nothing to bite into. Couldn't agree with you more. Oh, I'm so glad. I do not. I do. don't agree. So uh, no, like, I know. No, angel hair really is not in my kitchen. I agree. Yeah. So what I love is like a short noodle, not too short, but like a short, like maybe like a two inch noodle that has a big thick chew to it. So like a cavatelli mm-hmm. or something, you know, maybe not a penne because that's still thin, even though it's short, but something that has a good bite to it. Or, or, or Ketty is very nice with greens. Oh, Or Ketty is amazing, the little ears. Yep. But try to make sure they have the ridges on it. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, I, you could get them smooth or I, at least see or rigate, right? Yeah. You know, the shape of the Arketti, if you're going to cook with beans or greens, it's just perfect. That's just my view, but I hear yeah. you. Yep. Right, because it finds the beans and greens, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. And I actually really love pasta with broccoli or pasta rapini. Mm-hmm. And when the broccoli or the rapini sort of breaks down, it sits inside the little ears. Agreed. So the other thing is, is that let's just go on pasta and my being pasta snobby for a second. I try to choose a more artisanal pasta, maybe not the cheapest one on the shelf, yep. maybe more like the mid-range to the more expensive. If you're going to be cooking with few ingredients, then make those ingredients really good. I, recom- okay? I recommend Garofalo. That's my go-to. Yes, yes, uh, I, I recommend Garofalo And they have, they have more different shapes than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And my go-to is actually, you haven't talked about the long ones, but I like Bucatini. That's my favorite. I love Bucatini. That's so funny because a lot of people don't even know about bucatini. Yeah. Swap out your spaghetti and fettuccine for bucatini. So for the listeners who don't know what bucatini is, it's basically a fat spaghetti with a hole down the center. Yeah. It's a long noodle. But not necessarily the best for the pasta sauces that I'm about to talk about. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So summer pasta sauces, that is our topic. So I love pasta just as much as the next gal, but I don't want to sit over a bubbling pot of pasta all day long in the heat of the summer in my kitchen. I also really don't like to even turn my stove or oven on very much in the summer. Okay? Agreed. So let's talk about grilling pasta sauces. Mm -hmm. Okay? Or using raw ingredients. So first of all, let's talk about how to cook the pasta. So when you cook the pasta, you want to have a very large pot of water, a lot larger than you think you should. Okay? Mm -hmm. And the water should be very well seasoned with salt. It should taste like the tears or the ocean. So taste the salt. 
mm-hmm. want to taste it so it infuses into the pasta, and the pasta actually has some flavor. And the most important rule of cooking pasta that you could ever remember is save pasta water. Correct. Okay. So before you drain it, take like a heat-proof measuring cup. I just have like a large two-cup measuring cup and scoop out two cups of pasta water. It's not that you're going to measure what you're going to need, but you'll have enough if you scoop out two cups and you can never recover or save the pasta water that you poured down the drain. Agreed. Okay? Yep. Okay. So let's first talk about my favorite go-to summer pasta recipe. So I take a whack load of heirloom cherry tomatoes or just regular cherry tomatoes and even some beautiful romas that I cut up. I make a tinfoil basket, but with the extra large tinfoil, like the super heavy duty stuff. And I make a good basket. I dump all the tomatoes in there. So a lot, like I'm talking like, you know, five or six containers worth, like little containers worth. Mm -hmm. And I drizzle a good amount of oil on them. So like it could be a quarter cup or half a cup. You know, and by quarter, I usually mean half. Yep. And then I put some whole cloves of garlic peeled. Yep. And I put that basket of tomatoes, garlic, and oil on my barbecue. Just make sure you have some good walls on your tinfoil. And I barbecue them on medium, and they start to break down and release their juices. And then the juices start to become jammy, like really gorgeous. And that's when you want to get your pasta boiling and you want to save pasta water, well-salted pasta water, and remove your pasta when it's still al dente, but not so al dente that you're going to continue cooking it with the pasta sauce because you're not going to, okay? Yep. So you take that gorgeous al dente pasta, put it inside your serving dish, and then slide the tinfoil onto a cookie sheet just so you could carry it off the barbecue and then dump the whole load of tomatoes, oil, garlic, into the pasta in the serving dish and season it with salt and pepper and beautiful parmigiano reggiano toss it together and you will be the favorite i agree and i would add to this if you're going to put herbs in do not put basil in until after it is cooked you can get away with cooking the tomatoes with thyme or oregano if you're so inclined but basil at the end or it will turn black and gunky Very true. I'm glad you brought that because then you want to throw like, you know, probably the equivalent of a bunch of basil in there and don't cut your basil. Just toss the full leaves into the hot pasta and toss it around. You might tear it. You can. Okay. What other sauce do you like? Okay. But I will add one more thing. If you want to be extra fancy, you could throw some ricotta cheese into there as well in large lumps after it's been tossed. Okay. 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 Another one that I really, really love is a pea and bocconcini or burrata pasta. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you cook the peas with the pasta, but in the last minute of cooking. So you're going to get like fresh peas. Okay. You save some pasta water, obviously. And then you're going to put it all back in the pot together and you're going to cook it a little bit in small, adding small increments of pasta water just to make sure the pasta is fully cooked. Add a little bit more salt transfer to a serving bowl, add lots and lots of cracked pepper, and then that's when I want to add some fresh chilies, fresh herbs like basil or chives, and then lay out the pasta on a platter or bowl, and then add some torn bocconcini or a large ball of burrata into the center. Okay, so with the burrata, for those that don't know, it's going to be one large mozzarella, but in the center of it is going to be sort of like a liquid that is 
usually cream, but it could be thick milk and it sort of spills out and it's very dramatic. So you might mm. want to break the burrata in front of everybody as opposed to stirring in the burrata before. Like yes. it's, it's a presentation issue. Because it's a showstopper, it right? It is, exactly. Yeah. And then maybe give a little drizzle of olive oil, a sprinkle of flaked sea salt, and lots of cracked pepper in the center of the burrata. I would agree. I would go heavier on the salt if you're using burrata because it tends not to be a salted cheese because it has the liquid center. So just remember that. It's very much like a fresh mozzarella. Yeah. Yeah, And it's pretty mild. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's a non-cheese lover's cheese for sure. Correct. And of course, a cheese lover's cheese. Okay. I have another one that I love that it's a little bit alternative. Okay. Okay, Go for it. So this is when we're going to put a corn cob peeled into the boiling pasta water in the last few minutes of the cooking. Okay. Mm -hmm. You could put the grill, you could put the cooked corn onto the grill if you want to get some grill marks, but not necessary. You drain the pasta, you cut the corn off the cob, and you grate a whole bunch of Parmesan cheese into the hot pot, not on heat, but just into the hot pot. You never want to cook Parmesan cheese. Add tons and tons of cracked black pepper, a little bit of pasta water, and you've basically made a cacio e pepe, but with corn. Yeah, I would say... If you're going to go for a more traditional cacio e pepe flavor, you would use pecorino and not parmesan, but I hear you. It sounds delicious. The only thing I'd be concerned about is like the cheese sort of sticking to the bottom of the pot. So, yes, but you're not it's not on heat. Gotcha. Yeah, never ever cook your pecorino or your parmigiano reggiano. I've Always ne- keep it. I've never had uh, corn pasta. I'm going to have to try that one. It's really, really good. You don't want to overload the pasta, starch on starch. Yeah. But the corn is in season right now, and it's really sweet. Like, I wouldn't be doing this a month ago. You yeah. want to be doing it, like, now, you Got know? Got it. Okay. Do we have time for one last one? One last one. Okay. So I love summer squash and zucchini, so the yellow squash and zucchini. You don't need to cook the zucchini or the summer squash. You just slice it into ribbons. You could use a vegetable peeler for that, or if you're very handy with your knife, which most people are not, because you really want to get it very, very thin, or, of course, if you have a mandolin. So slice it in long ribbons. They don't have to be in perfect length. You could do half-length ribbons. is fine, too. You cook your pasta till it's al dente. It doesn't need additional cooking, so make it, like, perfectly cooked. And then you add the vegetables, the zucchini ribbons to the hot pasta, add a little pasta water, plate it, and then sprinkle with crumbled goat cheese all over and lots of fresh herbs. And I actually love chervil and tarragon for this one. Interesting. So when you say goat cheese, you're looking at a harder goat cheese or a creamier goat cheese? For this? You know, it really doesn't matter. Really, I think you should use what you like. Like I've had creamy goat cheeses that I don't love and harder goat cheeses that I love. So I use those. It doesn't matter. Just use what you like. Just make sure it's cold when you're sprinkling it in. Excellent. Well, these are all great suggestions, and I hope our listeners try it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. What do you want to talk about next time you're on? I think next time we're going to talk about building the perfect charcuterie board when meat or cured meat is not your thing. It's like a vegetarian charcuterie board or pescatarian. Interesting. That was Carolyn Tanner Cohen. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Krista McKay-ND, Carlisle Jansen, Dr. Aaron Boynton, and Carolyn Tanner-Cohen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. 
For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie@tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.